Yeah. 
Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. And God wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy. Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven and earth. Early in the morning, I will celebrate the Stumbled in the darkness, I will call your name by night. And God wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. You are His name, His name. 
exalted. He is exalted. On high, He is exalted. For great is the He is exalted in blessing and honor, glory and power unto the Lord be praised. Sing with a chorus resounding before us, holy. Sing in honor, glory, and power unto the Lord be praised. Sing with a chorus resounding before us. Holy is your name, your name, and Just a few announcements this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, we have a lot of things coming up, not the least of which is uh, next Saturday. This you, you might have gotten one of these when you came in. Uh, we're sponsoring a spaghetti dinner uh, for Harry Anton. Harry was here in the first service. Harry is uh, suffering from fourth stage lung cancer. And, of course, hasn't been able to work uh, for quite a while now. And so spread the word around. And uh, next Saturday, we're going to have that up here at the gym from 12 o'clock to 7 o'clock. 
and uh, we think it's going to be a very big event because Harry knows everybody in Western Pennsylvania. I heard, I hear, and uh, they're talking it up all over the place. So um, the little flyers are back there. You plan to do that next Saturday? I know that that will be appreciated. Uh, then, not too too many days after that, we have our trunk and treat program, which some of you remember. We're going to do it right up here on the parking lot. And this is the event that we invite the community kids to come in and get candy uh, out of your trunk and uh, just have a great time. The fire department will bring the, the fire truck up, and uh, it's just a, a festive time. So please bring in some candy, okay, for that. Read, read this carefully. We just are collecting a certain type of candy, so we thank you for that. Also, just a few weeks before the election, we're, we're praying that God will intervene in the election this year. And I've given you this prayer list, and uh, I know you're praying it, you're thinking, you got it in your pocket. Pull it out, look at it. Uh, and then we're asking people in our church, and we've already had quite a few people sign up uh, to pray one day a week, or to fast and pray one day a week between now and the election. And so if you haven't chosen a day, it's not too late for you to do that, just kind of check off something, put your name, address. And then on the other side, we need helpers to form this prayer chain, okay? It's going to start at 8 a.m. on Monday, November 5th. That's the Monday of the election. And we're going to come up to the church. And we're going to come up here all the way till 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock, the church closes down, and then you'll have to do the rest at home throughout the night, okay? And Cherie, you'll be happy about that. Uh, and, uh, and then the church will open up at 8 o'clock in the morning and go all the way through 11 p.m. at night. And I, maybe by that time we can have like a praise service, okay? And it'll turn into, instead of a prayer service, a praise service. But we want to we have as many people as possible um, check in at least one of these spots. That just means that you'll pray at that particular time, okay? So if you haven't signed that, please do. Fold it in half, put it in the offering plate. And uh, one other thing, Dane Demchek, our youth pastor, is in the hospital, I understand. Is that right? And he's got some real serious intestinal issues going on. And so I want you to think about him today and pray for him and that God will uh, bring that to a resolution. Okay? Dane Demchek. Let's stand together, please as uh, our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love and uh, there are so many needs that we have in the church. Uh, people with physical needs, emotional needs, financial needs. Lord, we, uh, come, we appeal to you, our great God, to meet these needs. Uh, for your honor and for your glory. Now we come to the time of the service that we uh, do our part uh, to bring our tithes and our offerings to support the ministry of the church. We thank you that you've given us a job, a means of income, and we pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, and trembles at his voice. How great is our God! Sing with me how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Would you stand with us as we sing the second verse? And age to age he stands, and time is in his hands. Beginning and the end, beginning and the end. 
God, we come into your presence this morning to give you praise. Lord, we, we pray that our hearts have been in that place this morning, that we have exalted you on high. You are so worthy of our praise. Everything that is within us, God, you have done in our lives. We are nothing without you, and we give you praise and honor and glory, God. Thank you so much for music. Thank you that we can worship you together as a church. Father, I pray as pastor comes now, Lord, that you will just speak through him that your spirit will just stir our hearts. We will be drawn closer to you this morning, God, that we will leave this place changed. Lord, that we have met with you and we have met with your presence, God, and that you will be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, thank you. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. Genesis, chapter 22 for this morning. I'd like to talk to you today about Isaac, the promised son. If you've been here for the last few weeks, we've been talking to you about Abraham, and uh, this is the next person in the line of succession, Isaac. In chapter 22, verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, that's Jerusalem, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young man, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Abraham knew something that uh, the other people in the party didn't know. The Lord asked him to do the most difficult thing that I've ever heard about, God asking anybody to do. And uh, he said, Listen, we're going to go do that, but we are coming back. So Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, this is one of the most heart-touching parts of the story. As they were traveling to do this incredible thing, 
Isaac asked the simple question, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham again comes through with something that uh, is pretty extraordinary. He said, my son, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Again, he knew something that uh, other people didn't know. Uh, He had an insight into God that other people didn't have. Then they came to the place of which God told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here am I. I guess they were the sweetest words Abraham ever heard. I'm sure he went like this. That was close. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham's son had arrived. But he had spent a long time in waiting. Um, You know, Abraham was called, as you remember, out of the Ur of the Chaldees. uh, Down in a place called Iraq. I mentioned to you earlier that one of the fellows in our Saturday night church... Uh, said that his son is in the Marines and uh, he was down there in Iraq and he saw that sign said you are Ur and he said you know I saw that in the Bible it is that's where Abraham was from and uh, God called him out of his idolatrous background and uh, called him to start a new nation in a new place and we call it the Canaan land the land of milk and honey But, you know, when he did that, God gave him some tremendous promises which he carried in his heart. And, you know, I think that whenever we read the promises of God, all of us, we want them to happen right now in our life, don't we? We, Or at least in the next few days. But Abraham carried the promises in his heart for years. And what were they? They were given to us in Genesis chapter 12. Remember, he said, I'm going to send you to a land that I'll show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, and Abraham's living with this in his heart. I will make you a great nation. Well, how's that going to happen? I'm going to make you a great nation. You know, he went on to illustrate it. And he illustrated it this way. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make your posterity as the dust of the earth. Now, that's a lot of dust, isn't it? And then he went on further, and he said, I'm going to make your posterity as the stars of heaven. Just look at the stars. And then if that's not enough, I'm going to make your posterity as the sand of the sea, the sand on the seashore. And so Abraham is trying to digest all of this, and he's struggling with it, and God appears to him and uh, gives him another word. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Don't you think Abraham was thinking, you know, I left home, I left the place of my birth and I've traveled all this distance on a promise from God and Abraham said Lord God what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus you know the promise of God was in his heart that God was going to make him a great nation but he couldn't figure out how that was going to happen because Sarah wasn't having this child And he said, listen, it looks to me, God, that the only thing I have is this man named Eliezer. He's he's the head of my my estate, and it looks like he's going to be the heir to the throne or the heir to my fortune or the heir to what I have left. 
And Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Again, he reassured Abraham, Relax, Abraham. I gave you this promise. It hasn't come to pass yet, but just look up to heaven. And every night you look up to heaven and you see all those stars, that's the way your descendants are going to be. Now, verse number 6 to me may be the most important verse in the Old Testament. If it isn't the most important verse, it's close to being the most important verse. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Underline that, circle it, because it's mentioned at least three times in the New Testament. And it's really important because this is how Abraham forged a relationship with God Almighty by faith. Abraham believed by faith in God, and God says, Listen, I'm going to account your belief as righteousness, as I'm going to make you righteous because you believe in me. You know, we talk all the time, and the message that the church has for the world is that we are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not by works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we've done. We, we stress that. That's important. People need to know that. But oftentimes people will say, well, how, will people, how were people saved in the Old Testament? They were saved by faith in the Old Testament. And here's the verse right here. This is the golden text of, of salvation by faith in the Old Testament. So God reassures him, relax, Abraham, relax, relax, relax. I made those promises to you. You're going to have a child. And, and Abraham said right here, okay, God, I believe. And God says, good enough, good enough. You know, Sarah, though, doesn't want to wait any longer uh, for God's promises to come to pass. Uh, and she says, well, you know, I have an idea. There was a custom at that time that uh, phone, homes had to produce an heir, an heir to what the parents had. And the children born to the other woman were considered to be the children of the wife. A surrogate uh, was to be chosen. And she said, you know, I have, ha I have Hagar. Remember, we got her down there in Egypt. And so uh, I think she'd be a good surrogate for you. And so this was Sarah's idea. Hey, listen, why don't you just have a child with her? And so Abraham went along with the plan. And uh, not soon after that whole arrangement took place, all kind of trouble broke out in the home, you can imagine. Sarah's been trying to have a child almost forever. And now here comes Hagar, and she has a child going to be born pretty soon. And all sorts of problems broke out in the home. And so Hagar runs away. And, uh, <coughs> and the angel of the Lord goes to rescue her out in the wilderness. And says, listen, I want you to call this child Ishmael. He's going to be a wild man. And uh, most children are, aren't they? At certain times of their life. But he, that was what he was going to be. He was going to be a wild man. And so time wears on and God speaks on the subject again in chapter 17, verse 15. Turn over there, please. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Um, and he uh, reaffirms himself in verse number 16. She's going she's gonna to have a son. And Abraham fell on his face, and what did he do? He laughed. <laughs> he said, listen, as much as I want to believe in God, I, I think this is funny right now. This is pretty funny. He laughed. 
Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? Uh, he said, this is not going to happen. Uh, and then remember in the next chapter, chapter 18, those travelers came through the home of Abraham and and uh, they were talking, too, about uh, Sarah was going to have a child. And you remember what she did? Chapter 18, verse 12. She laughed, too. And so Abraham is laughing. Sarah is laughing. <laughs> and, and I'm asking myself, what happened to their faith? But I'm reminded that even people of great faith have doubts. Even people who have great faith have doubts at some particular time, especially when it comes to impossible situations. Well, uh, they said, uh, listen, we want you to call this uh, child uh, that you're going to have Isaac. And uh, that means he laughs. Uh, I'll bless Ishmael, but uh, the promised child is Isaac. And so in chapter number 21, uh, Isaac is born. Uh, Isaac comes on the scene. They're not, there's no laughing now. They're getting up in the middle of the night. They're crying now. Uh, Abraham, it's your turn to feed the baby. <laughs> and Sarah, no, it's your turn. Uh, things are serious now. Isaac is a picture of Christ in his birth. Now here I'm going to give you this morning some similarities between Isaac and Christ. First of all, and you have your notes there in front of you, you can write them down. Both of those children were called the promised seed. Uh, Isaac was promised, and uh, so was Christ. And the first promise of Christ is found in Genesis 3.15. That's very early in the Bible. And all through the Old Testament, there are these repeated continuing promises of the coming of Christ. Isaiah 7, 14, Genesis 3, 15. And so they were both the promised seed. In both of their births, there was this lengthy interval between the promise and the fulfillment. When you open to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and you read that section there, you find that that's the first promise of the coming of Christ. Boy, that's a long time later when Christ came on the scene. And so it is with uh, Isaac. Isaac was promised in many, many years uh, elapsed between the promise and the fulfillment. Another similarity is the fact that the mothers both had questions. Uh, Sarah laughed. But Mary, the mother of Jesus, remember she, when she was approached with this idea... She said, how shall this thing be, seeing I do not know a man? Both of the mothers had questions. And then there was Isaac was named before he was born in Genesis 17, 19. And so was Jesus in Matthew 1, 21. They were named before they were born. They were also, there's another similarity, and they were born at a set time. I find it interesting, as I'm reading the story of Isaac here, that, that the, the Lord says, listen, at a set time, at this time, he's going to be born. Genesis 18, 14, and Genesis 21, 2. And then the Bible says, Galatians 6, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them who are under the law, that we might be, become the adoption of sons, have the adoption of sons. And so Isaac is so similar in his birth to Jesus. And what God is doing here is he's painting a picture in the Old Testament of the coming of Christ in the life of Abraham. Now, what precipitated this? What, uh, why, why is this all coming to being? Of course, we know that God wants this to happen, but Abraham's faith is growing. And uh, God here is testing him like he never tested anybody in chapter 22. And you know, this is what life is about. It's about your faith growing and it's about my faith growing. When troubles come, we all have a decision to make. Will we recoil from God or will we embrace him and see our faith grow through the troubles of it all?
Uh, Abraham's faith grew, I think, through the things that uh, God took away from him. You know, all of us have a lot of faith when God's giving us things. You know, God gives us this and we say, and God gives us this and we say, God's good, isn't he? God's good, isn't he? And then God takes something away from us and we scratch our head and we say, hmm. Well, you know, I think Abraham's faith grew when God took some things away from him. First of all, he took his native land and his kindred away from him. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave your family behind. I have a mission. And, you know, there was some pain in that, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm sure that there was some second thoughts going on in Abraham's mind. I have to leave my comfort zone. I have to get out of here. Another thing I think that God took away from him was Lot. You know, I think he had a good relationship with Lot. Uh, he was his nephew, and he was almost like his son, and, and he tried to watch over him, and he prayed him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God took Lot away from him. And maybe he probably thought like you and me, maybe we could live together and I enjoy his fellowship for a long time. Another thing I think God took away from him was his plans for Ishmael. Remember when Ishmael was born, uh, I'm sure he had a close affinity to that little boy because it doesn't take very long for a little boy to get a, get a hold on your heart, does it? I told the people in the first service this morning, we had our little boy over here uh, a few days ago from Columbus. Ross Haney and I share that little boy. And uh, we, Joanne and I kept him for a day, and I'll tell you, he ground us down. To, uh, we had no energy left after that day. Uh, but boy, the next day, you know, we got up, and you know what we said? We missed that little kid. <laughs> Doesn't take long for them to find a place in your heart. And so here we find Ishmael. Remember the child by Hagar. Uh, as God says, listen, that's not my plan. You have to put your plans aside, that plan aside. And so I think Abraham had big plans for him. And so God took that away from him. And now, now the big test comes. I'm going to take Isaac this time. Now, how was Abraham able to do all of this, to go through this loss and this loss and this loss and this loss? How was he able to do that? Well, I think the reason, the reason he could do that is because he was, his faith was growing all the time. Through each loss, he didn't recoil and, and go away from God. He'd learn more about God. And he began to really understand how God operated in the world and how big God was. And I think that's the key for your life and my life. You know, what? oftentimes we bring God down here on our scale and we try to figure him out and that doesn't work. And we, we try to, but God is so big. And Abraham was learning how big God really was. And he was learning to trust him under all situations because he knew the principle of Romans 8.28. And the principle of Romans 8.28 is simply all things work together for what? For good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so Abraham was ready to lose this and to lose this and to lose this, trusting in the goodness and greatness of God working out his plan. And uh, Abraham's life didn't revolve around him. It was revolving around God. And so Abraham's faith was growing with each thing God took away from Abraham. Now Isaac, though, was a, a picture of Christ in his birth and also a picture of Christ in his death and resurrection. Now whenever you come to Genesis chapter 22, it's kind of cataclysmic, isn't it? Go take your son now to Jerusalem and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, that's bigger than I can wrap my mind around. At this particular time, he was living in a place called Beersheba. Uh, you probably heard this term from Dan to 
to Beersheba. That was from the north to the south. That was the uppermost northern part and the southernmost southern part, the uh, boundaries of the promised land. And so he was living down in Beersheba, and it was about 50 miles up to Jerusalem. And uh, Moriah, his destination, was simply a hill around Jerusalem. And so they headed out. Now, it's interesting. Now, this, this is really interesting to me. Because, you know, we go through the seasons of the church every year, and we, we, uh, you know, we celebrate Easter, Christ dying upon the cross, and we've seen the passion of Christ. And I saw that one time. I never want to see that again. Uh, and we, uh, we, we look at it from the human perspective. But Genesis 22 is from the divine perspective. It's from God's angle, God's point of view. And I think it's, uh, it illuminates things that I don't think that we're customarily aware of. And I say that because the emphasis is on Abraham, uh, Abra- or the divine side of the crucifixion. Abraham is in charge of the entire story here of Isaac on the altar. And so God says to Abraham, I want you to take your only son. Now, who does that remind you of? It reminds you of Jesus, right? Romans 8.32. Let's read this together this morning. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. He did not spare his own son. Now, God is painting a picture here. Uh, It's a snapshot of the future. It's a snapshot of the death of Christ. Now, the next thing we see here in this snapshot is the fact that Abraham set apart his son for a sacrifice. Verse number 3. He rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took his two young men with him and Isaac his son. Uh, This was the father's selection. The father setting apart the son for sacrifice. You know, when you move a little bit further uh, into the Bible, you find that the Passover lamb was separated from the flock four days before it was killed. So there was this interim period here uh, when the selection was made, and when the death was supposed to happen. Now, we have plenty of verses in the Bible to substantiate this. Acts 2.23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God had a determined person, plenty of foreknowledge. You have taken and by lawless hands have crucified and put to death. Remember, we look at Easter and the crucifixion from the human side, but there is another side, and that's God's side, Acts 2.23. 1 Peter 1.20 says this, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This was an event that God planned. And you know, when God plans an event, it happens, doesn't it? It happens. Revelation 13.8 is a good one too. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so here we find the father and he selects the son to go on the journey. There are two travelers. Now, who could that be? That's easy, isn't it? The two travelers. They're the two thieves that died on the cross, one on either side of Jesus. Um, And the interesting thing about that, as we see right here in the Scriptures, they could only travel with him so far. Uh, Look at verse number 5. And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back. The two servants were only permitted to go so far. Now, you remember the story of the two thieves on the cross. Uh, They were taken in the whole thing until God turned out the lights and Jerusalem became black. 
they could only go, listen, so far. God would not allow them to see what was going to happen on the cross. They could only go so far. And from that point in time, it was just the Father and the Son alone. Uh, he wasn't to deliver him to someone else to take his life. It was just the Father and the Son. And this transaction would be between the Father and the Son. And so as he made his way up Moriah, he laid the wood on Isaac. Now, what does that remind you of? Of course, that's easy, isn't it? He put the wood for the sacrifice on Isaac. Wow. Now, Isaac, by the way, was a full-grown person. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said he was about 25 years old, so he could have cut out at any time. He could have said, listen, I don't want to, do, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't like where this is going. But uh, this is a picture that God's painting in the Old Testament of the crucifixion. The father and son are going up the hill alone. He laid the wood on Isaac. And it's interesting that there is no voice of protest. Only a question. Where's the lamb? No protest. And when, you, when we read the story of the crucifixion of Christ, we never see, Je we never see Jesus protesting. Hey, stop. What are you guys doing? I don't know if I want to do this. There's no protest. He simply goes to fulfill the will of God. And Hebrews 10, 7 through 9 says this. In the volume of the book it is written, To do your will, O God. To do your will. That was his goal. And so as he traveled and as he was going up the hill, I want you to notice what else we find here. Verse number 6, he took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went along. The fire represents divine judgment. And for those of you who are here last week or the week before, we talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. God knows how to use the fire, doesn't he? He just incinerated that place. Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. A fire represents judgment. The knife represents divine justice. Judgment and justice. Why do we have this story? Uh, God, and I think the reason we have this story is because God would require a human sacrifice. Follow me. Because it was man who sinned against God. And God's justice needed to be satisfied as judgment would be poured out on man. Uh, the scripture says, the soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. And so when God says something, he means it. And so in order for God to be credible, he had to keep his word. And so since man sinned against God, man had to pay the penalty. And so that's the story. That's the picture behind this whole story. Where is the lamb, Isaac said? Well, we, got, we have a good answer. Uh, he says, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. In other words, God will provide a substitute. I find this interesting that he said God would provide a lamb for himself. Now, this is something that you never have to remember, but it's good if you ever want to remember it. When Jesus died upon the cross, it was first of all, for God, for God, to satisfy his justice, to satisfy himself. That's why we have in Isaiah chapter 53, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. See, God's justice wasn't satisfied until somebody died to pay for the penalty of sin. His justice was still outstanding. It hadn't been satisfied. And so the death of Jesus Christ was, first of all, for God. 
God's justice had to be satisfied. It was provided for God and by God. Now, scratch your head on that one. It was provided for God, but it was also provided for by God. Christ died for sinners, but first he died for God. Now, here the type of the picture passes from Isaac to the ram. Isaac is is there, he's bound, this uh, dagger is uh, over top of his head, and God's justice is ready to be exacted for the sins of the human race. And God says, don't do that, don't do that. Now here, Isaac begins to picture you and me, you and me, uh, we are in a hopeless situation. Uh, the justice of God is lingering over you and me. Uh, we are unable to help ourselves. We're bound. And we're facing the knife of God's divine justice. And just in the nick of time, God provides a substitute so that we don't have to die at the hand of God's justice. God's justice is exacted from another, a substitute. And here it is, happiest words Abraham ever heard, Abraham, Abraham. And he looked over and there was a ram with his big horns caught in the thicket. And so Isaac got off of the altar and Abraham provided the substitute uh, to die on the altar. Now, that's a terrific story in the Old Testament. Galatians 3.18 gives us a little light on it. Let's, let's read this together this morning. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Now, Abraham had the gospel preached to him, the good news, the, what you and I tell other people. And part of it is that in this, in you all the nations shall be blessed, but also, but also, we find that he has this tremendous picture of the gospel given to him, which we have just looked at this morning. Now, this is good news. Uh, someone has said that Isaac is not mentioned in the story after this. Now, his life is further explained, but as Abraham went home, Isaac is not mentioned, and it's a picture of the resurrection and ascension of the Lord. He's, the Lord's taken up into heaven. Uh, what does all this mean? Well, Abraham passes the test of faith, but his, but his faith has been a long time in growing. And so, put yourself in that situation. God... You have to face this situation and your faith grows. And you face that situation and your faith grows some more. And then you face another situation and your faith grows again. And then finally you face a situation like unlike any situation you've ever faced. Like Abraham did. And you know what you do? Listen, this is interesting. You know what you do? You keep going forward because... You know God. You know God. You trust Him. Your faith is stronger. And you say, listen, I don't understand this all, but I trust the Lord, and so let's go with it. Now, Abraham was not, certainly not, a, if you read the whole story of Abraham, he wasn't a perfect person. Uh, you know what he did? He fell down, and he got up again. Lot fell down and never got up. Abraham fell down, he got up, he went back to the altar and he said, okay, God, here I go, we'll start again. And then he went a little while further and then he fell down again. And guess what he did then? He got up. And when he got up, he said, you know, this is getting to be a habit, this falling down and getting up. And so he's going along and he says to himself, you know, I think I'm going to fall down again. I think I'll fall down again. And he did. And we do. 
But the great thing is he got up and he got up and he got up and that's what life is about. It's falling down and getting up. And you know, the neat thing about it is every time he went through this experience, he reached out his hand to the Lord and he said, Lord, help me up. Help me up. And he got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And that's how God works in our life. We fall down. We get up. We fall down again. We get up. Somebody says, hey, what have you been doing for the last 40 years? Falling down and getting up. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> and all of us, and all along, we're getting stronger. Because we have big issues in the future God's preparing us for. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The reason he could shine, uh, his faith could shine, is the fact that he did have an altar. And he always uh, was in connect, connection with God. And he always would come back to God and repent and pick himself back up and shake himself off and say, I'm not doing that again, and try to go on. And God says, you know, I love you. I love you for being honest with me. I know you're human. I know you don't have much strength. I'll lift you back up. I'll give you another start. Maybe you're here today in the church and you've had so many starts you're a little embarrassed. Well, listen, don't be too embarrassed. Just get back up and start again. Shake yourself off. Uh, God can really use you. You know that? He really can. He's, he's used a lot of other people that's fallen down a probably more than you have. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for, for this tremendous story. There's too many lessons for us to learn in this, in this time that allotted this morning. But we pray that you'll take, uh, as we were moving through this story, Lord, I know your spirit has just been bringing these points home to each and every one of us and applying them to our life. And I pray now that as we come to the end of the service that we can respond by faith to your word Help us to learn from this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing this song together, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, you just feel free to do that as we sing together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace Turn your eyes upon Jesus Take hold of his powerful hand. He will lift you up in his mighty love. In the strength of your God you can stand. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory